you would, turn over to Genesis chapter 30, uh, 39 for you guys. I'm going to jump around a lot. And listen, I know Pastor did. I move around. I know Pastor did a, uh, a series on Joseph. He was wrapping that up right about the time we got here in January. Uh, my wife's sitting there in the middle in the pink sweater. Uh, Rebecca, we have three kids, uh, Ella, Zach, and Emma. Everybody thinks Emma's my favorite. Um, she's not my favorite, but everybody thinks that she is. Anyway, um, we got here about the time he was wrapping up that, that series. So I, I know you guys spent a lot of time talking about Joseph. We're going to talk about him this morning. More of an overview. Um, I, I titled this lesson, God is Enough. Now, I know he's more than enough, right? So I know some of you when I say that will say, well, God's more than enough. Why would you use just the word enough? But just stick with me and I think it'll make sense in the end. But, but that's what we're calling this this morning. So um, let me pray real quick and, and we'll get started. Uh, Genesis chapter 39. Lord, thank you for so much for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, you know that uh, you know I'm excited and I pray you just help me to, to settle down a little bit and, and be able to share with, with our class this morning all the things we've talked about. Lord, bless all of our, our time together, our other teachers this morning, help them. And Lord, we love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right, so I'm going to go real quickly through the life of Joseph and then make a couple of quick points. Um, and we'll try to, I'm, I'm notorious for being long-winded, but I'll, I'll, I promise I won't do that this morning even if we have to cut, cut things short. So in chapter 37 of Genesis, you, you find Joseph, right? You guys, we studied him for quite, quite a while. He's 17 years old. Right? He's just a teenager. Uh, he's beloved. He's Jacob's favorite. Uh, you guys know the story. His brothers hate him. Why, they, they hate him because he has these dreams and he tells them about how they're going to bow down to him one day and, and, and that type of thing. They, they don't like him. Um, and then his dad, Jacob, sends him out to see his older brothers, right? Everybody, everybody with me? All right. So, so his, his dad send, sends him out to see his brothers. He's 17 years old. Um, and he, he shows up to go see them. And they, they see him coming, right? And instead of saying, here comes our brother Joseph, they say, here comes this dreamer. Let's do what? Let's kill him. Right? I never felt that way. I have a sister. We don't get along that well. I never did, but I never felt compelled to say something quite like that. But here he comes, and they say, let's kill him. Well, his, his oldest brother Reuben saves him. Saves him by, by throwing him in a, in a pit, but, but he saves him. Reuben disappears for a little while, and then uh, the Ishmaelites come along, and, and, and Joseph gets sold, and he eventually winds up down in Potiphar's house, right? So the next 13 chapters of Genesis, with the exception of one of those chapters, tell us about his life. He's off to, he's off to Potiphar's house. In chapter 39, he's there, Potiphar's house. He's doing really well. He's being successful. He's elevated up to that number two position in his house. He has control of everything in the house. And Potiphar's wife takes a liking to him. And Joseph doesn't reciprocate. He knows what's right. He knows what's wrong. He doesn't reciprocate. She keeps pushing the issue. Eventually, uh, he spurns her in a way that's very embarrassing for her, right? And she accuses him of sexual assault. And where does he wind up? He winds up in prison. He goes to Pharaoh's prison. Still a kid. Family's not around. By himself. Completely alone. He gets there in the prison. He's faithful. And he rises again. Right? He, he essentially becomes the, the guy that's in charge of the prison. 
Pharaoh's butler, Pharaoh's baker, show up, and he interprets their dreams. And I know you guys know these stories really well. We all learned them in Sunday school. But the, the butler and the baker show up. They have dreams. They're distraught about the dreams. They're sad. They, and Joseph interprets those dreams. Tells the butler he's going to be elevated back up to his position. Tells the baker he's going to lose his head. I don't know that I would have gone to Joseph and asked him to interpret dreams for me after I, after I heard that. But anyway, he tells the, over in, the, in chapter 40, he tells the butler, hey, when you get up to Pharaoh's, when, you, when you're elevated back to that position in Pharaoh's house, remember me. And remember, there's no, he has no family. I'm sure he's made some acquaintances, no close friends. He's, a, he's an Israelite there in Egypt. And he tells the butler, hey, remember me when you're put back in that position. And we find out just about 10 verses later that the butler's elevator, excuse me, elevated into that position. He doesn't remember him, right? And there's Joseph kind of forsaken again. Chapter 41, we keep reading. Um, Pharaoh has a dream. The butler then remembers that Joseph had interpreted his dream, and Joseph finds his way to Pharaoh's house, and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. You guys will remember he eventually is elevated. So he's number two in Potiphar's house. He's number two in the prison. Now he's going to be number two in the entire nation of Egypt. As a kid, when I heard that story, I thought, man, that's pretty cool. Right? I mean, this guy, he just keeps working his way up, working his way up. And now he's number two in the land of Egypt. Has his own chariot. He can speak as if he's Pharaoh. And then he essentially saves the kind of the civilized world from, from famine, all that. I think that's pretty amazing. I think it's amazing that he, does, he never loses his testimony. Right here he is in a pagan land. And I'm, don't, don't, don't go with me, but we're going to jump around some in some of the scripture. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get deeper into the Bible in a few minutes. But I think it's amazing. He never loses his testimony. Right, his his, and, and the people that are around him know who his God is. In chapter 43, his brothers have come back for the second time to find out, to, 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 to buy grain, to buy corn, whatever it is he's selling. And they come to his house, and the steward in his house, who most assuredly is either a slave or an Egyptian, talks about God. Well, how did he do that? This isn't my lesson, but, but how did he do that? Well, he, he did it because Joseph lived out his belief in God. He lived out, I'm sure he prayed. He did all the things he was taught to do as a young boy. All that followed him down into Egypt. But he maintains his testimony. He maintains his relationship with the Lord. And then he eventually sees his brothers in person, and he sees them bow down to him like he had told them years ago he's going to do. Remember, so he's 17 when, he's, when we're, we're kind of introduced to him, and he goes out into the to the to field to see his brothers. And now when he's elevated to number two in Pharaoh's house, he's 30. So 13 years go by. Right? 13 years of being in Potiphar's house, being in prison, now being, being there, number two in Egypt. After all of that, right, he saves his brothers, kind of saves the world. All of that happens. And then in the very last chapter of Genesis, how do his brothers repay him? You guys remember this? Pastor, this is one of the sermons Pastor preached right when we got here. Right? His, their dad dies. Right? They go bury him. They have their time of mourning. They come back, and his brothers, his brothers come to him, and they're concerned. They say, uh, the Bible says, when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us 
and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And then there's that great verse in, in, in verse 20 of, of Genesis chapter 50. Joseph, Joseph responds to that. He says, Fear not, for I am I in the place of God, but as for you, you thought evil, unto, you, you thought evil unto, against me, but God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Right? And you read that story and it's just, wow, this guy's amazing. One of the few people in the Bible you read about and there's really never a slip. Right? It's just not... You see that with almost everybody else, but with him, there's almost never really a slip. And when I read verse 20, I think to myself that he's almost saying, hey, guys, his ways aren't our ways. God's ways aren't our ways. He was saying it before Isaiah said it in Isaiah 55. His ways aren't our ways. And I think another way to look at that, and this is, again, what this is about, but he just accepted God's plan for his life. Right? Wasn't, wasn't his plan. And that's where I want to kind of start to dig in this morning. God's plan's not our plan. Right? When we talk about it, we don't say, hey, God and I have this plan. It's God's plan. Right? He doesn't consult with us. Right? So a, a little over a year ago, and I'll, I'll dig into some more examples. How many of y'all have ever been through a, like, a really bad valley in your life? I don't mean your dog died. I don't mean you had a bad hair day. I'm talking really bad. All right, so pay, pay attention this morning. I, I think this will help you. If you hadn't been there, really pay attention because I think this will really help you down the road. But a, a little over a year ago, I was in a different job at a different church with a different Sunday school class. I didn't have a different wife. I got the same wife. <laughs> My kids were in a different school. And now a year later, you know, we're driving 45 minutes to get here looking for a house. We're in a different church. Our kids are going to be going to school here. Rebecca's going to be working here. We didn't sit down a year ago and say, hey, let's throw our entire life into upheaval and see what happens. Right? We, we had to figure out. We, we had to get on board with what God had going on in our life. And it's been wonderful. Right? But there's a whole lot of other things. That's just, that's just a, kind of a simple example. But there's so many things that happen in our life that we would never sign up for. Right? Anybody sign up to be sick? To lose a loved one? Lose a job? Move? Any of those things? I, I don't. Right? Storms that are created by other people? Right? You're just rocking along and somebody else does something and it has a profound effect on your life? Or if you're a couple, maybe you, you deal with things like infertility? It's hard stuff, right? And, you know, Matt and Allie got married yesterday. I guarantee you they didn't spend last night thinking about the storms that were going to happen in their marriage over the next few years or over the, the lifetime of their marriage, right? We tend to focus on the other stuff. And it's usually the things that happen to us are things we don't have a lot of control over. But it's God's plan. I think about Joseph. Joseph, 17 years old. I don't think he was... When, when Jacob grabbed him and said, hey, listen, I want you to head out and see your brothers, I don't think he said, boy, this is great because in 13 years I'm going to be the number two guy in Egypt. I think if you'd have gone to Joseph at age 30 when he's number two in Egypt and said, Joseph, where would you like to be? I think he'd say, I'd like to go home. That'd be my plan. I'd like to go back home and see my dad and see those brothers. I really don't want to do this. 
but he never complained. There's, there's one reference in, I think it's chapter 40, where he tells the butler, hey, I'm here, I was sold into slavery, and I've been falsely accused. But other than that, you never find a complaint from Joseph, ever. He never complains. He lived to be 110 years old. He didn't see his homeland for 93 years, never saw it again. I don't think he would have said, God and I had the same idea for how this is going to turn out. It's a beautiful story. I'm not trying to take anything away from the story, but it's an amazing example, I think, of how he got, on, he got on board with what God's plan for his life was. He just worked, and he was faithful, and he was obedient. And you see examples of that over and over and over in the Bible, of folks being faithful, being obedient like that. He's not focused on what he can't control, um, Got some other examples. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut those short just because I want to make sure I have time to, to kind of dig into what I actually really want to talk about. But I mentioned a moment ago, I asked you guys to raise your hand about, hey, how many of you have been through a valley, that kind of thing. It's, it's not easy to miss out on something, right? It's, not, it's, it's, it's hard to miss out on your plan for your, what you think your plan for your life is. It's hard to miss out on a dream. It's hard to get overlooked for a job or overlooked for a promotion. I'll use us as an example. It's hard. We went to the same church for well over 15 years. It's hard to leave where you are and all the people you care about. I didn't know any of you seven months ago. Right? And I still don't know some of you, so we'll work on that. But I didn't know you. My kids didn't know any of your kids. None of that stuff. And this is just a really mild example. Right? But losing a job economic upheaval in your life, whatever it is, it's hard for, to, to, to live through those things. And I, I thought about Joseph. The things I just mentioned don't even compare to what he dealt with. Somewhere between 17 and 30, he's in jail. He has, again, no family, probably doesn't have very many friends, if any true friends. He's completely alone. He's completely isolated. He has nothing. I'm guessing he couldn't have pulled out his wallet and pulled out a dollar or two. He doesn't have anything. And he's exactly where God intended for him to be. Exactly. Right? And we, we talk about how good God is, but, but sometimes it's hard to, to accept that right there in the middle of that storm and right there in the middle of that valley, he's exactly where God intended for him to be. God had a plan for him. And we know how the story turns out, but Joseph didn't. Joseph's sitting there in that prison, and the butler's forgotten about him, and he's got to be thinking, well, what else is going to happen? How much worse is this going to get? But he's right where God intended him to be. And so, he, so here's, here's where I want to start digging in. How do you do that? Right, when, when you're in the middle of that storm, when it's, things are that bad, how do you deal with that? How did Joseph? How could Joseph not complain? How could he just keep getting up and doing his job every single day, keep his faith in the Lord, keep doing all those things? How do you do that? And this is really simple. Right? I, got, I, got, I got three points, and they're all exactly the same. Okay, and this, which is where we'll dig into the Scripture. But it's really simple. I, I tend to teach really simple lessons. I don't, I don't dig too deep. 
But over in Genesis chapter 39, I asked you to turn there at the beginning. I've got three verses I want to point out to you. Let's, let's read the first couple of verses there in chapter 39. The Bible says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. So there he is. There's a, there's a couple words in there. If you circle, if you write in your Bible, I'm going to ask you to, to notice those. You might want to highlight them or circle them. There in verse 2, the Bible says, The Lord was what? With. The Lord was with Joseph. He's right there with him. God Almighty was with Joseph. Just like he's with us. I like to say this. Isn't it amazing to read about the stories in the Bible? You've got David, John, Peter, Paul. Pick anybody. Pick your favorite character in the Bible. And you've got a reason they're your, they're your favorite character. Those, those individuals that you think about, do you ever think about how much God loved them? For them to have had the life that they have? But then you ever think about God loves you the exact same way, the same amount, right? He, he doesn't love, he didn't love John any more than he loves me. He didn't love Joseph any more than he loves you. God Almighty there with him. In my notes I wrote, Joseph plus God equals majority, right? Just that simple. Joseph plus God equals a majority. I'm going to jump around a little bit if you want to go with me. I'm going over to Psalm 139. You guys know this, this, this verse, I mean, verse 14, such a, a seminal verse in the Bible, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But before that, David paints this word picture of what it's like for God to be with you. I'm going to read verses 5 through 10, and then we'll talk a little bit about that. The Bible says, David's writing here about God, he says, Thou hast beset me behind and before. All right, the, 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 the image there is, God has completely surrounded David. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain to it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. David says, there's nowhere I can go, even if I don't want you with me, that God's not going to be there with him. But then the word picture that I really want you to see is there in verse 10. Where does it, how does it say God's holding David? It says he's holding him in his right hand, right? All right, so let's, let's, let's put ourselves in that hand. All right, God, David's there being held in God's right hand. And in verse 5, it says... Thou hast beset me before and behind. Right? So we're there in God's hand and that mental picture of God besetting us before and behind. And then what does it say that God does with his, with his other hand? He covers us. Right? Nothing, nothing can touch David unless God says it's okay. Now we know what happened with Job, so sometimes that can be a little scary, right? 
But there he is with God holding him in his right hand and covering him with his other hand. He's with us. To me, that's what it means when the Bible says, when the Bible says there in Genesis chapter 39 that God is with us. He was with Joseph. If you go on down a little bit further in Genesis 39, this, this happens three times in, the, in this one chapter. And it's really right there in those such formative years of, of, of Joseph's life and everything that's going on with him. Verse 20, Joseph has, has resisted Potiphar's wife and now he's been thrown in jail. Verse 20 says, Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. So he's thrown in jail and it tells us again, the Lord was with Joseph, with him wherever he goes. Moses is my favorite character in the Bible. I really love the story of Moses. There's so much there. It's, I think, fun to study. But in Exodus chapter 3, you've got Moses who's been on the backside of the wilderness watching sheep. He's approaching 80 years old, if he's not 80 already. And he sees the burning bush, and the Lord begins to speak to him from the burning bush. He tells him, you guys know the story. He tells him, hey, go, go down to Pharaoh and tell him to set, let my people go. And what is Moses? Moses gives all kinds of excuses, but his two primary things that he says at the beginning are what? Who am I? Right? Who am I? I'm just the sheep herder on the back of the desert, and how? How am I going to do that? Who am I, and how am I? So in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, we see that. It says, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God gives him this beautiful promise. He says in verse 12, Certainly I will be with thee. He told Joseph, I'll be with you. He tells Moses, Certainly I will be with thee. If you look up the word certainly, you get a lot of really good words, right? Definitely, without a doubt, certainly I will be with thee. Whether you feel it or not, several years ago, I won't dig into this a whole lot, but several years ago I spent about eight days in the hospital and I didn't know if I was going to get out. Um, I was told I needed a liver transplant. I don't have a different liver. I have the one I was born with, but I was told I needed a new one and that I might not get out of the hospital. And in those eight days, um, it was a rough eight days, but, but in those eight days, God was so close to me. I could feel his presence in the room. And then they sent me home, and I thought I was better. I was actually not better, but I had something that couldn't get any better in the hospital, so they sent me home anyway. So I'm, in the I'm back home, and I'm just kind of kicked back in the living room, figuring out what's going to happen. And it felt like for about two weeks that God had gone from as close to me as he could possibly be to as far from me as he could possibly, it was terrible. It was just an awful time. But whether I felt it or not, he was there with me. We don't walk by emotion. We don't do what we do by emotion or by what we feel. God was there with me, just like he's there here with Moses. Again, whether we feel it or not. There's so many examples of this in the Bible. You've got Moses, we just read that one to you. You've got Joshua a little bit later when he takes over the, 
the, the rains there and uh, fills in, take, takes Moses' place leading, leading the, uh, the Israelites. Joshua 1, 9, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of good courage. Right? Don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. He tells him, he gives him that great promise. And then we even see it with David. We talked about David in Psalm 139, but anybody know Psalm 23? Right, kind of a famous, famous psalm when we turn to a lot. David writes there in verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with me. I thought about this. I, I, I've got a little bit of, I don't have a checkered past, but, but I, don't have the, I don't have the testimony of being saved at five years old and living the Christian life for all those, all those years. Um, but I think sometimes, and I run into people who are this way, we see, we see verses like this or you hear a lesson like this and you say, well, listen, that's, I've lived the kind of life where God's not going to be with me all the time. Or maybe we have doubt. And then when I see David say this, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's a murderer and an adulterer. Maybe he hadn't done it at that point, but that's a murderer and an adulterer talk. I don't, I don't have those things in my past. Right, God's going to be with me. He's going to be with you no matter what happens. He's with Moses, Moses. He's with Joseph. He's with David. He's with Paul and Silas. We might hear about that in the next few weeks. He's with you. Right, just like he's with... I think one of the hardest things about... about uh, studying scripture sometimes is it's easy to read this and hear what God did for everybody in the Bible but then you got to apply it to your life and you got to put yourselves in the shoes of those folks that are being talked about in here then one more example this is my third point they're all the same God's with you verse 23 there in, in, in Genesis 39 God says or the Bible says, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything. He's put, he's put Joseph in charge. Joseph's doing a great job. It says, the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. So three times there in chapter 39, the Lord was with Joseph, right, with him. And that was enough. Yeah, enough the word enough means sufficient. Right? I spent my life writing legal briefs and so I'm kind of a wordsmith, and I really pay attention to what words mean, and I'd encourage you to do that in your Bible study. Keep a dictionary handy so you know what words mean. But enough. And so you can say all you want. God, Jamie, God's more than enough. You're, you're right. I, I, won't, I won't argue with you about that. But he's enough. He's sufficient. Do I have any, like, math whizzes in the room? Anybody? Anybody teach math or, like, really good at math? Nobody? Really? Walker. All right, I got, I got a tough one for you, right? What's one plus one? Two, right? It was an easy question. One plus one is two. If I'm trying to get to two, I don't add one plus two or one plus three or one plus four, right? If I have God with me, and I do, that's sufficient. That's enough. It's enough for anything. Enough for anything that's going to happen in my life. All those storms, all those valleys. I suspect those of you who have been, been through those that raised your hand earlier, you can look back and, and recall some really sweet times and really sweet fellowship there in the middle of those valleys. I don't know if you're like me. I, don't, I tend to remember the valleys in my life 
and the sweetness of the fellowship with the Lord in those valleys a whole lot more than I remember the mountaintops. Maybe you're different. Maybe you think about it differently. We're all wired a little bit differently. But that's how I think about that. He's enough. You know, the, the, the word enough appears in Scripture 32 times. It never describes God. Right? But the Bible does talk about Him being sufficient. It talks about Him prospering us, all those things. And we've seen, we've seen some promises this morning about how He's with us. And, you know, for me, this, this, is, this is more for me maybe than for you, but what I've, what I've scribbled down in my notes this week, you know, that, that's how you live your life. It's how you get up and go every day. It's how you make a marriage work, right? Because God's with you and you spend time with Him. It's how you parent. It's how you do your job. It's how you face uncertainty in your life. It's how you submit your life to God because you trust Him, because He's going to be with you. It's how you fight back against fear. Anybody, like, anybody hate public speaking? A lot of you. I don't mind public speaking, so getting up in front of a crowd, whether I'm good at it or not, doesn't make me nervous. But for some people, it's terrifying. Right? But it, I'm not talking about that kind of fear. I'm talking about real fear in your life, fear of the unknown, fear of what's going to happen. It's how you overcome sin. It's, it's, it's how you face disappointment and, and overcome. It's all those things because just like God was with Joseph, He's with you, and that's enough. It's sufficient.